All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to another episode of What Had Happened, a true crime podcast. I'm your oh-so-tardy host, Kimberly, bringing you lesser-known true crime stories. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you all for your patience. I know that I left a little message last week within the Facebook group explaining what was going on and again I know you could be listening to anyone so I am so very grateful to you choosing to listen to me finally it seems like it's been a year since our last episode it's only been like a week and a half two weeks I hope you are all having a productive spring whatever that means for you um like I said I'll be reworking the format now that I've gotten myself some employment that conflicts with what I used to do with my research and you know production anyways those updates will come soon I would like to take a moment to thank the new listeners and followers to all of our social accounts welcome all and thank you lastly I would like to thank all of you for being so amazing and telling others about what had happened per the usual if you haven't already joined the what had happened a true crime podcast Facebook group please do so Also, follow the podcast on Instagram and Twitter, where I really don't tweet so much. Eek, I'll get better with that. The links are always found below in the description box, along with my references for the episode. Last week, or last episode, I told you about Colleen Ritzer and what had happened to her at the hands of her 14-year-old student, Philip Chisholm, in Danvers, Massachusetts. Today I'll be telling you what had happened to model Linda Sobeck when she left her Hermosa Beach, California home for a photo shoot. Now, backstory, I used an American Justice episode for the body of this episode, similarly to the Gladys Ricard case. I think that was like episode six or seven. Because I was familiar with the Linda Sobeck case, but I know that that was where most information I you know had gained on the case back then 20 years ago or however long it was you know I knew that they were really comprehensive with it so I pretty much used that to go with and so I'll be jumping straight into the case today Linda Elaine Sobeck was born on July 9th 1968 her father was an engineer and her mother a homemaker Linda and her brother Steve were their parents' only children. Growing up in a working-class suburb of Los Angeles, just minutes away from the ocean, Linda was said to be the quintessential California girl. Elaine described Linda as always being independent and goal-oriented. As a child, Linda was involved in many clubs and organizations. In her teens, Linda excelled at cheerleading, setting a goal to become a professional cheerleader. During this time, Linda also participated in pageants and modeled, saving her earnings to help pay for college. After graduation from high school, Linda got her dream job as a LA Raiders Raiderette from 1989 to 1993. Building her career in modeling, Linda booked a lot of print work for calendars, magazines, and also commercials. Now, a lot of the print work that she did was for automobile magazines, 
similarly to like Lowrider magazine. That's just an example. I didn't see that she had done a Lowrider magazine, but that's just like an example for those who are not gearheads or whatever. Like Hot Rod, whatever. She was the the beautiful model that graced the cover with an exquisite vehicle. Linda was said to be extremely type A who and she was also so that meant that she was extremely goal oriented, organized and extremely punctual. Having become successful in modeling, Linda's sights were set on transitioning into acting in television. On November 16th, 1995, it was another busy work day for Linda. At the last minute, she booked a photo shoot with, that would be the first of many scheduled for the day. While on the phone with her mother, Elaine, which whom she spoke to constantly, she readied for the shoot and told her mother of the meeting that she was meeting uh, that she had a meeting in the afternoon and she also had a costume fitting scheduled for later in the day. Super close to her mom, Linda promised to call Elaine back later in the day. Elaine would say that during the conversation, Linda gave very little detail about the photo shoot, only saying that it had been booked quickly. That would be the last phone call mother and daughter would have. When Linda failed to attend her scheduled meeting and wardrobe fitting for the television show Married with Children, most importantly, Elaine, Linda's three roommates, and boyfriend hadn't been able to contact her. Whenever they attempted to call her, they received, whenever they tried to call her phone at home, they received the message that Linda would be on location and unavailable to take calls for the day. The following morning, Linda's boyfriend called Elaine to ask if she knew where Linda was. Alarmed, Elaine attempted to page her daughter, but the general message stated that the number was out of service. It was uncharacteristic for Linda to go off the grid and disappear. Linda was a consummate professional who would never be so reckless. So she wasn't one of those beautiful models who was hanging out at the clubs and the bars, partying all night, and then, you know, showing up to work late. She had a routine. She had goals. She was hitting all of the marks she had was a rising star in you know what she was doing she was executing every single mark on her to-do list in life actually and factually so that afternoon overwhelmed with concern for linda elaine and bob sobeck her parents filed a missing a missing persons report with the hermosa beach police department detective raul saldana was assigned the case. He said that missing persons cases in Hermosa Beach were quite common in the area because it's, quote, a party town, and that most times the people reported missing would eventually show up. Elaine knew that Linda wasn't like the average missing persons case in Hermosa Beach, though. And how many times have we seen where a parent's instincts are spot on? You know, where you feel it in your gut that there's something wrong before anybody else starts to, you know, feel the hair on the back of their neck stand. Sorry, that was my phone. 
That weekend, family and friends assembled, forming their own search group, hanging missing persons flyers throughout the community. As the search began to take on traction, local news began to cover the case as well. The media latched onto the good looks and career of Linda while reporting the case. Now, the dates are kind of screwy, so we're going to omit them, but I'll give you the days of the week. The first clue came that following Monday, when a highway worker called to say he found photos of Linda in a trash can while working. He said he thought she was attractive in the photos, so he took them home. It was when the news began to cover Linda's disappearance that he realized she was the same woman in the photographs and immediately turned them as turned them in as well as the location that he found the photos in to police. The highway worker had found the photos along a narrow stretch of highway in the Angeles National Forest in a trash can, which is an hour north of Los Angeles. Searchers and a collection of the remaining contents of the trash can the photos were discarded in began the following morning. Linda's car was also reported as being found at a Denny's near, I guess it was near her home, by an eagle-eyed citizen who recognized it from the news coverage. Now, this is all going on in tandem, you know, that the vehicle's being found as well as these photos are being, you know, the location of where the photos were left is being searched. So, inside the trash can, the police found a plastic Kmart bag, which held Linda's day planner, photos of Linda, and a loan receipt from a a car dealership for a Toyota Lexus SUV in the name of Charles Rathbun. When detectives inquired with Toyota, you know, as to this whole, like, what's this receipt all about and who's this person, they con- it was confirmed that the loan was to a professional car photographer named Charles Rathburn for an auto magazine photo shoot. When police called Charles, he informed police he had, in fact, met with Linda at a Denny's to discuss a potential shoot, but after looking at her portfolio, told her she didn't, she wouldn't be a good fit, and the two parted ways. Chillingly, he then said to Detective Saldana, I was the last one to see her. Along with that damning evidence collected from the National Park, Linda's car being found in the Denny's parking lot with her club locked on her steering wheel, intact, and that squirrely comment, detectives worked with the sheriff's department and placed surveillance on Charles's bungalow as Detective Saldana had more phone conversations with Charles that, you know, became increasingly bizarre and it began to sound as if he was getting drunk which to detective saldana you know was an indication of some form of guilt so he's keeping him on the phone you know like charles is talking to him intermittently throughout the day while police have video surveillance going on outside of charles's home at one point later in the afternoon charles called on two friends shannon meyer and her neighbor attorney james nickel so he said something about how 
it was all a misunderstanding or he was going to get in trouble or he needed help or he was in deep shit but it was like really vague and they didn't understand what he was saying right so like they discard the conversation and go on with their afternoon next thing you know shannon gets a fax coming through her fax machine where it's like a typed up suicide note from charles and there i guess on the cover sheet there's um a note telling shannon to give the note to james to james nickel the attorney neighbor so shannon books it over there to james's house and james is like i saw shannon like from my window like running to my door and she's got this piece of paper and so the two friends are frantic and they rush over to charles's home the police are still outside watching nothing going on no activity happening at charles's home and they see these two people rush up to the home now they watch as shannon and james tried to make contact with charles by knocking on the door and when they said that they got there the home was shuttered like the blinds were down it was dark it appeared like there was nobody there or what have you and then finally an intoxicated charles comes out of the home wielding a gun and charles drunkenly misfired his weapon as he stepped out of his house and a fragment of the ricocheted bullet grazed the arm of his friend shannon meyer so police who were recording the incident as they surveilled charles immediately took action and took charles into custody after allowing charles to sober up a little bit detective saldana began to interview charles about the disappearance of linda sobeck initially charles denied knowing anything about her disappearance but soon began to tell a different story in Charles's new narrative, he admitted to meeting Linda in a Denny's parking lot and then traveling an hour east of Los Angeles to El Mirage Dry Lake Bed, a location used frequently for automobile commercials and photography. When the two arrived at El Mirage, Charles claimed that he wanted a shot of the car doing circles, kicking up sand, but Linda was unable to create the shot. He said when he went to demonstrate how he wanted it done, he accidentally struck her with the vehicle. Charles said that he wanted to take her to the hospital, but realized she wasn't breathing and panicked and buried her in the desert. On November 23rd, Charles took police to various locations where he thought he had buried her body, but each time it was incorrect. So he had these people in the desert digging holes there's a crime that happened i want to say in colorado around 2011 or 12 where a girl was abducted by a stranger who offered her a ride and i believe he had them searching different spots as well until he finally gave up the location of her body I might be mixing that up with another crime, but I know that's happened before, where they leave you on this wild goose chase, okay? So towards the end of the night, he led detectives towards the foothills of the Angeles National Forest, where Linda was still not located. But based on his confession, Charles Rathburn was placed under arrest for the murder of Linda Sobeck. 
While in police custody at the Hermosa Beach Police Department, Charles made his second suicide attempt, this time slitting his wrist and writing in blood that it was an accident. Whilst in the hospital, Charles told Detective Saldana that he placed a huge rock over the grave of Linda Sobek as to keep animals from getting to her body in the Angeles National Park. The following day, in a police helicopter, Detective Saldana, Charles Rathburn, and his attorney, James Nichols, flew overhead as, they, as search teams on the ground looked for Linda. Finally, as the day dwindled, Charles Rathburn finally gave police the location of Linda's body. From the helicopter, he pointed at a small retention wall that had a boulder on it. Police had to guard the site overnight as there was no more daylight to work the scene. When they, you know, by the time they got to it, it was like, you know, dusk-ish or almost dusk. So, you know, nightfall was going to be there, and the police had to protect the scene. Oh, that's got to be a hell of a job. The following morning, CSI um, and the Sheriff's Department, you know, and the coroner's office exhumed Linda's body carefully, which, although she had been buried for nine days, was in nearly perfect condition due to the coolness of the sand, the elevation that they were in, and so... It, when she was buried, it essentially created a refrigerator. It was also immediately obvious when her body was exhumed that Linda had not died due to trauma from an automobile accident, as Charles had claimed. Linda had ligature marks around her ankles or legs, which to detectives indicated a sexual-related death. Charles would have an answer for that and had quote-unquote proof to back it up. Charles would have, uh, the coroner found also that Linda had been bound, strangled, raped, sodomized, and died of asphyxiation. He also found that there was a lot of internal trauma that was inflicted extensively by an object that they couldn't identify at the time that resulted in bruising against her spine. When the Lexus Charles rented for the photo shoot was inspected, the, interior, the exterior was in pristine condition, showing absolutely no signs of the accident Charles alleged happened. So there were no scrapes on the bumper, there, none of that. Like, he couldn't have possibly have been doing donuts in the sand or whatever it was that he said he was doing um, and hit her like he said that he had because there was absolutely no damage to this vehicle. Um, but the interior of the SUV had signs of an attempted cleanup. So there is what they would call a shadow. So it when you bleed out or something bleeds out in a location the outside of the blood dries before the inside of the you know the inside of the pool so to speak the outside always dries first so when you're cleaning up your bloody pool blood drop whatever it is the, there's going to be a stain or a cast, like a shadow, of that outer rim 
that will show basically like the extent of the pool of blood also there was visible blood found in the cream stitching of the leather seats so charles was first charged with first degree murder and he pled not he pleaded not guilty to that Two months later, a charge of rape with a foreign object was also given to him, and the prosecution then went on to, you know, work on finding out who Charles Rathburn was and building their case against him. So, who was this asshole? Charles Rathburn was born, Burn Bun, sorry, Rathbun, was born in 1957 in Encino, California. While on a family vacation as a teenager, he was handed the family camera and told to take some pictures, and it was in that moment that he found his passion for, t- for photography and his, you know, future professional calling. While at Ohio State University, he studied photography, and in 1979, police in California had discovered that Charles had been accused of sexual assault by a fellow co-worker of his at a local grocery store. Charles claimed it was consensual and at, at trial he was acquitted. In 1981, following his parents' divorce, Charles visited his mother in Detroit and decided to stay. Charles got an apprenticeship with an esteemed automobile photographer where he began to excel and make his mark as an automobile photographer, gracing the covers of many popular auto magazines. In 1988, Charles returned to L.A. where he continued to be successful at photography but unsuccessful with women. So, over the course of three years, two more women would press sexual assault charges against Charles, only to later drop them. Associates of Charles would say that Charles hated Linda Sobic, specifically, and also blondes overall, saying that blondes were throwaway people, and that one day we would see Linda Sobic on a milk carton. Charles himself would change his defense once again, by claiming that Linda died during rough sex. At one point, saying he had physical evidence, which would be five undeveloped rolls of film that his brother, who was also an attorney, he told them where they were, and he told his brother, you know, basically like, hey, drop this off, pick this up and drop it off. So attorney brother presents these five rolls of undeveloped film, and they're kind of fucked up so the first four are photos of linda sobic where el mirage and you know a lot of them were her posing why she's a fucking model and he's a photographer right like i mean come on he hired her for this shoot so four roles of her doing what he hired her to do and then there's a fifth role And on that fifth roll, it's been double exposed, it's damaged due to the sun and the elements, and it is allegedly the quote-unquote smoking gun. He alleges that they are photos of Linda Sobic, and they are photos of 
the midsection of a woman masturbating in the front seat of a vehicle. But he asserted that it was Linda Sobic in the front seat of said Lexus. Nene. No, no, no. Nani. <clears throat> no. Anywho, the detectives and the prosecution pointed out that the vehicle wasn't a Lexus. Okay? And this was like for realsies. Like they looked at it side by side. This was not a Lexus, and the woman in the negatives was not Linda. This was in fact just a ruse. This was just like a red herring. At trial, like a preach like a trial, the state asserted that Linda and Charles, you know, working in a small circle, you know, like the modeling community, there's only so many photographers and models, you know, and they you know work together or have a working knowledge of each other so they said yeah she might have worked with him on a couple of jobs but they weren't acquaintances or associates you know whatever the job was it was strictly professional on linda's part but you know you know so they knew each knew of each other but they didn't know each other they also you know Charles said that he hated working with her and wanted to kill her. The state described how the search of Linda, the search for Linda, let how the search for Linda led detectives to Charles Rathbun. They detailed how Linda was lured by Charles into Angeles National Park, where he raped her viciously. Knowing that she would tell police, he strangled her to keep her quiet, as opposed to, you know, the new rough sex gone awry angle that the defense was trying to spin it was nearly one year since the murder of linda when the trial began the defense took a win in the pre-trial and the pre-trial when they argued that all evidence found including linda's body be inadmissible as charles was not given his miranda rights properly when questioned at some point in time um i want to say it was like when he was in the hospital after his suicide attempt like <clears throat> excuse me while he was at Hermosa Beast police police station um while he was in their custody when detective Saldana spoke with him they're trying to say that he wasn't mirandized i believe that was what they had instanced i might be misspeaking it could be when they brought him in for when he initially had been apprehended at his home but what have you one of those times they were trying to say that everything was going to be inadmissible the judge ruled that some of the evidence and charles's you know confession were inadmissible the prosecution was able to keep most including most importantly the autopsy report you know and the photos which included which refuted all the claims of death by misadventure Okay, because that's basically what Charles was trying to assert, that this was death by misadventure, that some funky shit happened, and whoops. Anywho, the ligature marks on Linda's ink, ink wall, her, her thighs, her legs, strangulation marks on her neck, and the heinous internal injury due to sodomy were signs of abuse and torture, not sexual exploration on Linda's part. The coroner, Dr. Reby, concluded that the cause of death was asphyxiation, though. 
His findings were that six foot three, two hundred thirty pound Charles Rathbun sat on five foot three, one hundred twelve pound Linda while choking her, and that the force of his weight coupled with the strangulation was how she died. Criminalist uh, Heidi Robbins believed that Linda was tied up and sexually assaulted and tortured. She all she's with the LA Sheriff's Office and she testified that the ligature marks were heaviest and most defined on the inside of her legs, which meant her legs were tied apart and that she struggled to close her legs. The night before she was supposed to take the stand, sexual assault expert Dr. Laura Slaughter was having a discussion with prosecutor prosecutor Stephen Kay, and she'd asked what Charles was into. Basically, like, what's his background? Like, you know, like, what's his kink? Like, what's he into? And the attorney said that there were over 200 guns that were confiscated from Charles's home because they were trying to figure out exactly what could be used now i will admit that as this case was playing out initially i would have thought it would have been something like like a tripod okay because photography equipment right and you're thinking sod and i was thinking sodomy so i was just you know like what would he have you know accessible to him he would have his photography equipment i thought it you know i thought that it would be you know that Oh no, I was so wrong. The attorney said that over 200 guns were confiscated from Charles's home, and that's when the light bulb went off, and Dr. Slaughter said, that's it. That's what he used. Prosecutors believed that the instrument used to sodomize Linda so viciously was the very same gun he brandished when they originally took him into custody. So the weapon was taken into the crime lab and tested, and blood was found beneath the lip of the barrel. Next, two models testified that Charles told them that Linda Sobick was a bitch he didn't ever want to work with again. The defense proceeded to give their case, which, okay, as the jury forewoman would say, there was a hill to climb with their case presentation. The defense asserted that only two people knew what had happened that day and one was dead. So it was imperative for their client to take the witness stand and tell the jury what happened to Linda Sobick, November 1995. When Charles took the stand in October 1996, he testified that he hired Linda for a photo shoot in the desert with the Lexus SUV, and then, upon her request, took individual photos of Linda for her portfolio. I'm going to address something here. Initially, I was not team jury for woman because she's similarly to the juror in the Gladys Ricard case. I can't remember if he was the foreman or just like a juror that was willing to talk. But like, if you remember, I thought he was like low key kind of trashy for like being like, well, you know, they said she was getting around, you know, and uh. No, 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 no. And he was like low key, kind of like pro Augustine. Hold on, gotta take a sip on this one because my throat hurts on this. Hold up. Okay. She similarly spoke about Charles, basically, like as if he was her next door neighbor. She called him Charlie. And she said she felt bad for the defense because the prosecution essentially had painted him in such a deplorable light. These are my words, not hers. But then she redeemed herself. 
by pointing out that while the defense tried to say Linda was having a, quote, good time and that she was, quote, vamping up for the camera. I'm using air quotes in my fingers, too, you guys. Like, for real, like, hard air quotes. Vamping up for the camera and other look, otherwise looking like she was into the entire vibe. Madam for a person said that in the photos taken at El Mirage, there there was a disconnection like a disconnected unhappiness in linda's eyes that is vastly different from the scores of modeling photos introduced into evidence of linda's modeling career okay so linda was a smizer and a smiler she smiled with her entire face she beamed even when she wasn't smiling and she was giving you great just eye contact you could see the light in her eyes okay true story no lie she was an amazingly beautiful woman who knew how to work all of her facial tones so in these photos that he was trying to assert you know were proof that they were having a whiz bang time together madam for a person was like mm-mm it was written all over her face. She didn't have to say a word. Sorry, I just quoted an old song that I liked as a kid. Um, because her eyes, they were dark. Like, they weren't lit up. Like, she just looked unhappy. And so, shout out to Madam for a person for redeeming herself for catching on to that. That sparkle and overall happiness that couldn't be missed was in fact missing in her final photos. Charles then asserted that the photo shoot turned erotic, saying that they began drinking heavily and having consensual explorative sex. Afterwards, Charles said he wanted to show Linda a trick with the Lexus, and he nearly hit her, which led to a heated argument, and that's when she became violent, and whilst trying to restrain Linda, he accidentally killed her. The only eye contact the madam for a person said Charles gave was with his lawyers, and she said that it felt rehearsed. On cross-examination, though, when the prosecution began dismantling the assertion that the negatives from the fifth roll of film were conveniently only showing a woman's midsection and the act of a woman masturbating. So, the act of masturbation in just a midsection and there was no face. The prosecutors brought in... There There was also this. There was the fact that the prosecutors brought in witnesses to challenge the validity. Heidi Robbins testified how she used the autopsy photos with the photos in question to compare and contrast every single inch of... Linda Sobic's body after it was exhumed from her grave and so when the coroner Dr. Reby had taken painstaking hours to do his autopsy he took 8 by 10 photos of every single inch of her body okay to construct this so Robbins was able to utilize those autopsy photos 
and compare them to the photographs that were taken and asserted to be Linda Sobek. And definitively, she was able to show that there was nothing in the photograph that corresponded with Linda's wardrobe, the vehicle that they were in, uh, the vehicle that, you know, any of the indicators like moles, wrinkles, any other markers on her body to conclude, to conclude that the photos were not Linda Sobek and not of her on the day of the murder. So when the case was concluded, the jury looked at hundreds of photos and evidence. Six hours into deliberation, the jurors found Charles Rathbun guilty of the sexual assault and murder of Linda Sobic. As his sentencing six week at his sentencing six weeks later, Charles basically sat there glibly as the Sobic family gave their impact statements. Charles was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. He, like most, has appealed his case and the appeals have been dismissed. So, here's what had happened. There's layers to where this diatribe is going to go. There's a movie from the 70s starring, uh, I think it's uh, Anthony Perkins and Diana Ross called Mahogany. She gets swooped into a world of becoming a fashion model slash designer slash muse for this obsessive, compulsive, abusive photographer who has all of this love but all of this hate for her and we've seen time and time again with toxic people not just men and women you know what I mean men and women alike stalking models and celebrities and notables and (sighs) the unobtainable basically and those in a role you know and and it's like we've seen these people place themselves in positions where they set these traps or where they make themselves it where they camouflage themselves or they blend them they blend in we saw you know we you know we've seen this with Jasmine Fiore 2009 Jasmine Fiore was a model. We saw her in a lot of commercials. Those 1-800-1900 late night commercials for like chat lines and stuff. She was in many of those commercials in the early the late 90s, early 2000s. She married a Canadian douchebag who actually appeared on a reality dating show, Megan Wants a Millionaire. Or Megan was yeah, Megan Wants a Millionaire on VH1. And it's ironic that when the show actually began to air on VH1 is when he committed this heinous murder on his wife where her remains were found, her dismembered body was found in like suitcases, I think, in a dumpster behind a shitty motel 
in Vegas or something like that. And he was on the run. And then, like, the pussifer he was, he was, like, they zoned in. They found out that he was in some cabin in the goddamn, gosh dang woods. And he killed himself. But he was an abusive piece of shit who, like, removed her breast implants. And, like, I think he cut her, her, he removed her, her gums or some shit so that they couldn't dental records like hands and fucking fingerprints like he dismembered his wife and then threw her away we also there you know there was also the english hairdresser and model uh in uh sally ann bowman who was 18 years old at the time of her murder more you know one of the most famous ones was when the 20 year old playmate dorothy stratton was viciously murdered at the hands of her jealous ex-husband and manager in a murder suicide in 1980 you know and this is just to give some examples um of the fuckery let's talk about andrew Cannon and gianni versace as well because it, like i said men and women alike um you know huh there's so many this man hated women okay he was already fucked up off the rip okay if we're gonna say what happened he was fucked up off the rip for so whatever fucking reason whatever rejection he was the person that was probably the wallflower who felt like you couldn't see him if he didn't have a camera in his face and you know that was the only way that women respected him is because he was a photographer but he also seemed like that kind of douchebag piece of shit that would hold that as a crux you know and a way to get women you know like hey i'm a photographer i can take pictures for you actually do your headshots you're beautiful blah 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 blah. like he probably used that as a fucking like pickup line or some shit like you know the lonesome piece of shit he was because he was at university in ohio where he was sexually assaulting you know a co-worker and even then at 18 19 years old let's see here it was 1979 he was born 57 so at 20 21 years old he fucking knew what he was doing he lied and said that it was consensual and he got acquitted and he got away with it and so that first time he got away with it i guarantee oh my gosh i tell you what he probably fucking felt like he was emboldened like he could get away with it again because he got off with it before because he said the key word it was consensual and they there was that shadow of doubt that she was just crying wolf which is super fucked up now also this was like 1979 so like it's not like dna was a thing and they weren't doing like rape kits like they do now and women were not women were blamed you know and villainized more so during sexual assault than they were taken seriously as victims you know and there was shame you know associated with that as well so you know he got away with that shit and then he goes to LA they said that you know he had female employees who had complained about him because they felt like he was inappropriate with them or he was making advances towards them that you know were like unsolicited dick pic type shit but minus the dick pics because it was like 1990 whatever 1980 whatever but that's that same energy you know and then he 
has this working knowledge of this beautiful woman who is ambitious and professional and you know is doing the damn thing she doesn't want to have shit to do with him aside of making her coins and building up her portfolio and he can't fucking stand it you know maybe his career was petering off a little bit it sounds like little dick energy to me it does it sounds like he was envious of her she was unobtainable she was something that he couldn't have she wasn't interested in him there wasn't shit that he could do for her you know she wasn't asking for anything she wasn't clamoring after him because of his job as a photographer either she also was trying to transition into film or television you know so it's like she had all of these goals and aspirations that she was obtaining in life and they had nothing to do with this man she had a boyfriend she had great roommates she had an amazing family system behind her she wasn't in the clubs thotting it up but to her, to him all he saw was a bimbo and that's bullshit you know he saw the quote on the trope of the dumb blonde he saw the trope of the easy you know how easy she was supposed to be but she wasn't and so he lured her he lured her he got her out in the middle of nowhere excuse me my phone again he lured her into the middle of nowhere where he knew that he could take out all of his hatred all of his you know all of his angst towards her which god only knows where it stemmed from you know um she had said that she'd worked with him a couple of times and it really wasn't like necessarily the best so whatever there's no telling how he had come at her you know or what the energy was when she was working with him and he booked this with her like he had discussed this with her a month prior and then out of nowhere booked it so he planned this was premeditated as fuck okay premeditated as fuck he got her out into the middle of nowhere he tried he probably tried to get have his way with her she said no and we know what the rest of the story is he violated her in ways that were unimaginable he did things to her that you shouldn't even dream of doing to anybody it was personal and then like a little pussy he went home and then tried to like he couldn't even he tried to garner sympathy. I don't think that he was actually intending to kill himself. I think that he was trying to give himself an alibi to make himself look innocent. Because if he had actually, I think if he had actually intended to harm himself, he would have most likely actually killed himself before Shannon Meyer and James Nichols arrived to his home after faxing a fucking suicide note that was basically like a denial of any wrongdoing and whatever but oh man i'm hosed it's kind of like when oj went off on that little ride in the white bronco it's real entitled i can't stand it i can't um so Whew, that's it you guys like that's what had happened a piece of shit lured her and took out all of the things that he, he had to have thought about this for a while he tied her up raped her sodomized her you know 
viciously, heinously, he did all of these things, buried her body, put a boulder on top of it. He probably really put it there so he could fucking go back and gloat like a sick little marker like he was gonna go back to he said he placed the marker there to keep animals from getting at her body but i feel like after playing cat and mouse and giving you know putting people on a wild goose chase for two days while searching those two areas east and north of los angeles an hour in each direction he did that just to fuck with them you know he most likely wasn't gonna really tell them you know when he saw that like shit was real that was when he had to switch gears and then try to figure out how to get himself at least not the death penalty you know what i mean like so i think it was obviously you know obviously there was a history of him being you know a sexual assaulter how do we put that a person who assaults people sexually he had a he had himself a history and if we had chester list for that or whatever at the time like in the 70s and the very beginning of the 80s if we had sex offender lists at that time he should have been on them because he was building himself a reputation for not respecting other people's bodies and their space and subsequently he went way across way across the line he crossed the line so far he shat on it he puked on it he shat on it some more and then he rolled around in it and tripped his balls that's what the fuck he did it was disgusting linda sobek didn't deserve any of that she didn't deserve one second of what charles brathbun did to her sorry not sorry a bitch is judging tonight when you're trash you're trash and i can't co-sign with trash so Hope you guys liked tonight's episode. Um, now that I've gone back over what we just talked about with Jasmine Fiore and Sally Ann Bowman and even Dorothy Stratton, I'm actually thinking that perhaps I should do an episode on one of those ladies as well down the line. Let me know what you guys think in the Facebook group, the Instagram, and on the Twitter that I don't tweet on. I'm Kimberly again. Thank you for yet another riveting night of listening to me prattle on what had happened, a true crime podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed.